Hey, y'all, my name is Nicole Rowan, and this is my podcast, a space to encourage you, share biblical truths, get all of these thoughts in my head out, and introduce you to some amazing people along the way. For more info, you can go to NicoleRowan.com. Hey, friends, I have been meaning to get this podcast out for so long, and I finally just said, you know what, I'm going to do it today, because this has probably been the most requested podcast YouTube channel um, of ours, and I am going to create a YouTube channel, so please, or not a YouTube channel, but a YouTube video for my channel, please go to my channel, which is Rowan Through Life, and it's uh, R-O-W-A-N, my last name, Rowan Through Life, and subscribe to our YouTube channel because I'm going to start sharing uh, more of the podcast content on there as well because I know some people like video, some people just like audio, and I just want to make it available um, for as many people as possible. But today, I am going to be talking about the hot topic of women in ministry, or rather, women in scripture and a study of First Timothy uh, 2. And I, I think that um, you know, a lot of people can say that they support women. A lot of people can say that they, you know, believe women can be in ministry. Um, a lot of people can say that women can do things, you know, inside the church, outside of the church, etc. However, we have to have a clear theological understanding of what that looks like. Okay, and First Timothy chapter two, really starting in verse eleven is um, a, lot of, a lot of controversy and a lot of people have things to say about it. Uh, and so today, for today's purpose, I am only going to be sharing the scripture piece of what this looks like and a breakdown of women in religion in ancient first century religion, essentially, uh, socioeconomically, and um, in the Bible. This topic I could literally talk about for hours upon hours, but I'm going to just be zoning in on just this kind of one niche area of First Timothy 2.9. It says this, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modesty and discreetly, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as it is proper for women making a claim to godliness. And then this is the, this is the verse right here, verse 11. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved high through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. So the you know verse 11 12 I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man is honestly maybe the the one verse in all of scripture that you know over the course of history has continued um to not allow women to be empowered and thrive and go after what God has actually put on their hearts in and out of the church and for many of you who might know me, 
Maybe you know some of this a little bit, but for those of you who don't, you know, I grew up in a um, a non-believing home. I started going to church really young by myself, walking there because it was close to where I lived. Um, I think I said a prayer in the back room at maybe, I don't know, 10 or 12. But then when I was 14, I got saved. And I started going to a Baptist church because that's where my grandparents went and um, was grateful for any kind of learning and understanding of the Word of God. Um, And then, you know, years later, I encounter the Holy Spirit. I moved to California. I go to Bible college, um, and I was on the hunt, if you will, for a female in ministry because I saw a lot of men in ministry, but I didn't see women outside of kids care, working, you know, through their passions inside of the church. And at that time, I had no desire to go into church ministry. That was not, that was not a desire of my heart at all. Um, I would later come to know that that was the call of God on my life. But I was a journalist. I, you know, I've always been a truth teller (laughs) from day one. Uh, But I, I feel like I have a, you know, subjective viewpoint because I was not interested in that. But what I was interested in was finding powerful women around me who were just going after what they felt like God had put inside of them. And so I want to look at three areas today. We're going to dive deep into a historical study here. Again, this is scratching the surface, but at least this is a starting point for many of you who are interested in women in ministry, okay? So we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at women in religion and in the first, you know, ancient first century. We're going to look at women in socioeconomic culture, and we're going to look at women in scripture, okay? So we're going to nerd out for the next maybe 10 or 15 minutes, but this is so powerful. This is such good information, okay? So the first thing we have to understand about this passage is that Paul is talking to a new church planter, if you will, all right? Paul is talking to Timothy, sharing with with him information that he needs to know to keep his church in order, if you will. And something that we have to understand is there was a goddess of fertility, of childbirth. She was a goddess um, of who uh, birthed humankind, if you will. Greek mythology goes that she gave birth to a woman first and then to men. And it was actually a reverse story of Genesis where man was deceived and then the woman. And so one of the ways that this culture, some of the women attending this church that Paul is talking to, one of the ways to worship Artemis correctly was with braided hair, braided with gold and silver and jewels in their hair and, you know, certain jewelry on their arms. And, you know, they were adorned with all of these, uh, these symbols towards worshiping Artemis. And the second way to worship Artemis was to take part in the incantations. Okay, so every day at the same time and in the same area, these women uh, would come together and they would chant over and over the theology of the goddess of Artemis. 
And as a young girl, this was, you know, the cultural norm. You would go and you would partake in this together with lots of other women. And there really wasn't a teaching except for the fact that you would repeat and repeat and repeat the theology of this goddess. And anything you needed to know about Artemis was located in these in these chants. Okay? And the reason why this was really important was because if you wanted to survive childbirth, you had to make the goddess happy by spending tons of money, i.e. the gold and the silver and the jewels, and you had to spend a lot of time worshiping her. And so verse 9 in the scripture that we read, you know, about modesty here is about modest living, if you will, not expensive, extravagant living. See, slaves and poor people were coming to the church. And then there's all these other women who are coming to the church wearing these really expensive items and chanting these incantations and, and they're being loud and they're being, you know, unorderly. And because this is what they've been used to in order to please the goddess, this is just what they do. And so Paul, in verse 10, he goes on, he's explaining that, hey, you only need to adorn yourselves with good works, not material items. Like these material items are not going to better you. Our God doesn't need your material items. See, their culture and their theology at the time and their way of thinking was they had to prove to Artemis right? By buying these expensive things and looking a certain way and chanting. And then in verse 11, it's interesting here because we actually get the definition of authority. So the first definition of authority is domineering. It's it's to shout at. Um, It's, you know, to, to be loud and over. And you know, women shouldn't be that way and neither should men. I mean, according to 1 Peter 5, right? Nowhere in scripture do we see that men are to be domineering and bark orders over their family or their flock. It's not saying that women can't do this, but men can. No, no, no. It's saying that this type of authority actually isn't great, right? Another definition, and I'm probably going to say this wrong, but of authority is authentio, and it actually means to declare oneself the author, the originator, or source of. I mean, basically, that the women, you know, is not the author of humanity. That's what Paul is saying here when he uses this word authority, because the theology of Artemis was that she was the author of humankind. And so when he uses authentio, it's to say, listen, actually, women, you're not the author of humanity. In either definition you decide to go with, Paul is not saying that women cannot have authority. He goes on in verse 13 and 14, and he actually, it's beautiful because he begins to debate the creation story. And this is not a passage about permission, which is what a lot of people seem to use it as. It's about theology, This passage is about theology, and Paul is letting Timothy know that the wrong theology should not dictate his church, right? And and if any of us are in ministry or go to church or are believers, we, we probably would agree, I mean, I hope you would agree, that the wrong theology should not dictate our churches. And so that's what Paul is saying here. And in verse 15, it's all about what the worship of Artemis taught, basically saying, listen, 
I know you're terrified about giving birth, but Artemis is not in control of this. Because see, the thought was, if these young girls did not worship Artemis and they were to get pregnant, then they could die. And the only person to save them was the goddess of fertility, Artemis, which is why they gathered, they chant, they you know memorize this theology, if you will. And so basically Paul's like, listen, you don't have to be terrified about giving birth. Artemis is not in control of this. The blessings we're going to receive from God is not how, not because of how we dress. It's not because we've bought expensive stuff, right? Like this is powerful because this is the gospel message that if you proclaim to be a Christian, a Christ follower, this is the message. The second thing we have to understand about women in a socioeconomic culture is that they were owned by men. Okay? She was not any different than the flock, the house, or the tools. Women were, you know, obviously thought of as less than. They were owned by men. And, and you know, women, they oftentimes lived in the quarters with the other wives. And, and they could never be seen by themselves or, you know, she'd be considered a prostitute, which is why the woman at the well is such a scandalous story when Jesus talks to her. Greek society, as a woman, you lived in seclusion, right? In Greek society, trade was the language, right? Like, unless women were trained to do business, they did not speak Greek, So as a woman, you go to a church service and even the slaves understand what's going on because they at least do businesses with their masters or business with their masters. And so the women, you know, I'm going back to the scripture here, the women here in this passage, they're talking during the service. They're trying to figure out what is going on and what is being said and they're being disruptive. And if you've ever sat in a service or an event or anything where, you know, you're supposed to be quiet and receive and someone is being disruptive, hopefully it gets addressed. You know, when Paul writes to the, um, the, the church in Corinth in chapter 14, there's a passage about orderly worship. And, and he says, women should keep silent in the church. If she desires to learn, let her go home and ask. Well, this is pretty amazing because Galatians 3, Paul knew about the oppression of women in the first century, right? And when Paul writes the letter, he says, neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. He is absolutely going against the entire culture. He's saying, hey, you women, you're not allowed to learn. You don't get an education. But you know what? If you have questions, absolutely go home and ask. He's saying, go home and learn. This is crazy because women were not allowed to learn. They weren't, they didn't get an education. And so Paul is saying, go home and learn. He's saying, listen, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free. He's going against everything that the culture taught and was about. This is powerful because it helps us have an understanding of the scripture. The third thing that we have to look at is women in scripture. And again, I'm scratching the surface, okay? I'm scratching the surface of this. But women in the New Testament, we have Lydia 
In the book of Acts, she, she leads a church in her home. We have Priscilla. She's a teacher. She's a teacher of theology, really. She's incredibly smart. She worked alongside her husband. She's often even mentioned before her husband in scripture. She's mentioned first. She you know, plants churches with Paul. And Apollos was a scholar, and Priscilla teaches him the theology of Jesus. I mean, she is a teacher of theology. We have Junia. She's a female apostle. Paul says, you know, prominent amongst the apostles. He uses this language. At some point in history, a scholar didn't like that he was reading about a woman doing this, so he changed her name to, to Junius. Changed it from Junia to Junius, which is a man's name. And still some versions of the Bible say this. But what did women do in Scripture? Were women leading churches? Were women teaching? Were women evangelizing? Yes, <laughs> we see very clear examples of this. They taught. They led. They sent missionaries. They sent Paul letters. Not all of these women were married. Some were widowed. But it had nothing to do with the attachment that they had to men. And then we think about the Old Testament. You know, there's Deborah. Deborah's a boss. She was a judge. She was God's prophet. She was a leader of a spiritual nation. And also, I mean, like a a general. She was a military general. She was like equivalent to the president or the pope. (laughs) Like she's a boss woman doing powerful, powerful things. We have Esther. We know that Jesus came for the oppressed and the poor and those who didn't have a voice. And he gave a voice for them to change generations. And the gospel is, is, you know, for those who have felt oppressed. The gospel is for those who don't have truth. The gospel is the true story of what it looks like to follow Christ and who Christ is. Jesus was not against women. Paul was not against women. They actually offered opportunity. They offered advancement and they sent forth the gospel through these women. And so when we look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, we have to understand ancient century religion. We have to understand the culture. We have to understand socioeconomic culture, essentially. We have to understand who Paul is writing to and why he's writing to them, what is happening inside of Timothy's church. We have to understand the goddess of fertility. My husband and I went to Italy um, a few years ago, and I actually got to see the statue of Artemis. And it's wild. She had, you know, a lot of um, boobs, for lack of other words, <laughs> breasts. She had 50, 70. She represented all things that women, you know, were to, to grow up and be or know about or embody. There was an empowerment, but it was the wrong empowerment. It was a misuse of actually what the true gospel is. That God came for all. He didn't just come for the men. He didn't just come for the women. He didn't just come for the children. You know, he came for everyone. And he gives equal opportunity for women to go after all that he has put inside of their hearts. 
And one of the things that I tell people when I engage in this conversation about, you know, can women teach as a senior pastor? You know what I ask them? I say, well, do you believe that women can teach in the kids' ministry? And and I'll, I'll hear, you know, more times than not, yeah, yeah, I think that women can teach kids. I think that's a great place for them to be. And I say, well, how much more so are are the kids vulnerable than the adults? Like kids can't really think for themselves yet. They can't make good logical decisions, you know, but adults can. And so you're telling me that you would rather have a woman who it's a sin to teach the word of God, essentially. You'd rather have a woman teaching your most vulnerable group of people, i.e. kids, than you would adults who are able to think for themselves. It, it, it doesn't make sense. It actually doesn't line up. It doesn't align with, you know, a clear, concise viewpoint. In the church, we have what's called egalitarian and complementarian. And to dumb it down in, in, in its simplest form, Complementarian is, you know, man is over women. In a lot of complementarian churches, you do not see women leading from any way, you know, shape or form from the stage. And egalitarian is that, no, we, we are, you know, we're co in this. And yes, there's order. And yes, there's things about the leadership of a man. But in, a, in an egalitarian church, you don't see the oppression, if you will, of women. And I think that the reason that we see powerless women walking around inside of our churches unfulfilled is because they've been told they can't go after the very reason they were designed. I never wanted to be a preacher. That was not my goal. I just did what God put inside of me and everyone else gave it a title. Everyone else told me what that was. All I was doing was doing what he told me to. And a lot of times we have to understand our God-given power in order to be powerful. We also have to understand our God-given authority because the concept of authority is closely connected with the concept of power in Scripture. And this is probably for another day, but essentially if you're listening to this and, and you have felt oppressed in the church, you have felt like I don't have a voice. You have felt like, man, I've been told that, you know, I can serve in kids, but I can't serve here and I can't serve there. Well, I'm here to tell you they might not be seeing the call of God on your life. And this doesn't mean that every woman needs to have a platform. It doesn't mean every man needs to have a platform. It just means that it's important for us to go after what God has put inside of us. When people reference 1 Corinthians 14, uh, verse 34, you know, women are to be kept silent, not permitted to speak. They don't understand this in scripture and in culture. They don't understand who Paul was talking to. But when you do start to dissect this and exegete this passage, you start to understand, oh, wait a second. Actually, Paul was like, super empowering of of women. I mean, we have we have Mary of Bethany anointing Jesus as the Messiah. She's anointing him. We have Mary of Nazareth. She birthed the savior. We have Anna and Luke. She's a prophet. 
We have Tabitha. She's a disciple known for her good works. And in, in Acts 9, you know, we have, um, I mentioned Junia earlier as an apostle, uh, Esther saving God's people from genocide. I mean, that whole book will rock you. Miriam leading worship in Exodus 15. It's just, we have examples of this in scripture when it was not culturally accepted, right? And when we deny gifted women the opportunity to exercise their leadership inside of ministries, we reject some of the very people Jesus has anointed and given to his church. Men and women must rise up and be united for the cause of the gospel and the building up of the body and the equipping of the people to reach the loss. Like we need all the people we can get. We don't need to be telling anyone you cannot because of our misunderstanding of scripture. Now, are there people that are not ready for, you know, a microphone or a platform or whatever it may be. Sure. Are there people in sin who need some accountability and some, some leadership for a while? Sure. But we have got to quit putting our hand out and preventing people from doing why God has put them on the earth. Right? Paul has a lot to say about the empowerment of women. He has a lot to say about the empowerment of women in such a time that, you know, was, was just not accepted at all. And so, again, I, I skimmed the top. You know, there's so much more. And I'll wait for some of your all's feedback to know kind of where I can head next. But I want to next um, just commission you. If you are a female in the church, and you have felt like, man, I've never heard scripture like broken down that way, or I've never been told I could do X, Y, or Z. I, I remember for years, I'd have people come into my office when I was a local church pastor in, um, in California, and they would come into my office and they would say, I think that, you know, you're, you're in sin. You're not supposed to be preaching or teaching or da, da, da. And, uh, God gave me such a grace and a compassion for these people. And I would say, okay, tell me why. And they never really had an answer. Many of them would share this scripture, but a lot of times what I found was, you know, they hadn't been been empowered themselves. And so I'd begin to tell them what I saw in them and the areas in which I thought that they should um, rise up to. (laughs) And it, it almost always ended with them in tears. No one's ever told me this. I never thought that I could do this. I'm not married, so I didn't think I could do ministry without a husband. My husband told me that my role is just to support him, or my church told me that I could really only serve in kids' ministry, and and I'd be able to, to just minister to them and love on them. And we need to be able to see people where they are and encourage them. But I want to commission you, if you're a female and you're listening to this, I want to commission you in the name of Jesus so if you're listening, I want you to just shut your eyes. I want you to, you know, hold out your hands in a receiving posture to receive from the Lord. And I'm just going to read over you for the next 20 seconds a commission. I commission you. I commission you in the name of Jesus. 
I commission you to pray for healing, to preach the gospel, and to look at sons and daughters right in the eye and remind them that their father is a good, good father. I pray that you will cook for ladies' events and prophesy over the men in the church. I hope that you will forgive those who have hurt you or told you that you are not able. I ask that you approach every conversation with grace and love and freedom. That when you get knocked down and passed over, stepped on, that you would stand up. That you would wipe the dust from your feet and you would continue on. Your worth does not come from your vocation or the degree you hold. It doesn't come from what others say of you or even the amount of pats you have received on your back. Your worth is deeply rooted in Christ Jesus who died for you and said, it is finished. So go ahead, stop silencing yourself. Don't pass up that opportunity because you haven't felt validated. Stop waiting for someone else to promote you. Quit holding your heart back from your God-given dreams and desires. Therefore, go make disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Dance around the church and bask in His glory. Preach, teach, lead mission strips, feed the poor, serve, prophesy, minister, clean your kitchen, care for your children, start a business. Whatever you do, do it all with love in the name of Jesus. All right, my friends, that is it for today. If you got anything out of this podcast, please go subscribe and leave a five-star review. And until next time.